So I started watching this new show on Netflix called Made, and it's been kind of blowing up because of how they portray homelessness in the show, but also just the journey of a domestic violence survivor from start to finish. And it's really realistically portrayed. And the big thing about the show, or the surprising thing to me, was how they show that homelessness can happen to really anyone at any time. So about this young mom who takes her kid and leaves her abusive boyfriend and she's trying to find housing. She can't find housing because she doesn't have money. But then the show is also about how she navigates different institutions, different systems, the welfare system, and how difficult it is. And it's not just easy to just say, you know, if you're in poverty, you can get out of it if you just have a decent education. It's a lot more than that. Yeah, I haven't seen the show. I've, I've only heard about it. Yeah, being homeless can... I mean, depending on where you are, can definitely make a difference in terms of resources, whether it be like resources of, you know, family, friends, or government resources, community-based, all those things will be affected by your location. So if you're in an urban area, it will be different from the suburbs. So in the show, which takes place in Washington, in the state of Washington, specifically in a suburban slash almost rural area of Washington. It's a new environment, at, at least for me, to see how homelessness is portrayed. Because when you think of homeless people or just generally homelessness, it's in major cities. Like in New York City, you have people on the streets or people with shopping carts. And I think for many people, that is kind of the quintessential idea of what being homeless looks like. And we're going to talk to Liz today about her story about when she was homeless. And it was also an interesting time around the recession. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because even different cities, people experience homelessness differently, whether it's the person who's actually homeless or, you know, your personal interaction with uh, homeless people. In like a smaller city, there may be, I mean, I hate to say there may be more resources, but I feel like it's a little bit more personal, right? You you come in contact with the homeless person a little bit more, which I mean, that's just my personal experience. So them coming up to you, asking for money, asking for food, things like that. As to where in New York, when I, I guess, interact with homeless people, it's a little less direct. I feel like I, I observe them, but they don't necessarily come up to you and ask you for things. Right. Yeah. Would you would you say that you're numb to it because it's so saturated? I would They're say everywhere. No, they are. That's the thing, right? There's home there are homeless people everywhere in New York City. And so yeah, I tend to I guess I don't want to say I'm numb to it. I do I mean I notice them, but I don't engage with them as much. It's a different experience with particular homeless people in the city. That That's just my thing. So walking down the street, I see them. They have like their makeshift tents or like the box set up for their, all those things, right? The shopping cart with all of their belongings in it. And I mean, honestly, I've even seen a guy not far from my job sleeping in an office chair. Like that was his bed, the office chair. So I feel like it's it's very different, right? Like I've seen a restaurant go out of business and a homeless person claim the spot in front of the restaurant as their home. 
as to where in a smaller city, a more local city, usually, you know, they might congregate at like a train station, right? And they might hang out there until it's they actually have to leave. It might be easier for them to find a spot in a shelter to stay overnight. They get there in time if they get there in time for, for food as well. There are some places where they will be up more upfront and asking you for money. And in some places, they'll ask you for food. It's interesting because like you can feel the difference and you can see the difference. And then when you're in the suburbs, yeah, when you're in the suburbs, you don't see as many homeless people. Not that there aren't homeless people. I think that you don't see them because it's just different. You don't really see people hanging out on the street in the suburbs. So it's a, they're a little bit more obvious. It's not part of what we're used to. So then if there are homeless people, they're probably, maybe they are at a shelter or maybe they're able to find somebody to stay with temporarily before they move on to the next place. If they are moving on to the next place, maybe they have a friend they stay with a few days out of the week and then they go stay with a cousin or, or another relative or something. It seems like it's just less explicit in terms of how obvious it is in the suburbs. If you're homeless, I guess you're generally trying to hide it in a way. And that's different than in the city. In the show Made, the main character was quite open about her struggles, about her being homeless and her trying to provide for her young child. But not everyone's like that. And You'll hear Liz, who wasn't very open about her being homeless. She hid it from her friends and family just because of the stigma that homelessness still carries, especially as, as a young person. We talked to Liz, who was homeless during the economic downturn about a decade ago. And uh, she has an interesting story to tell. Hey, Liz, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, so tell us your story. Thanks, Chandi and Zoe, for having me. I guess I should kind of preface by saying that my family hasn't been very traditional in that, you know, parents, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. We were a very small family unit. Um, it was my parents and my twin brother and myself. And we were just extremely close. When my brother and I were six, my father passed away and my mother, who was already like super mom, now became super mom and dad. We just were extremely close and she wasn't just my best friend, but also my guide, my guardian angel, my greatest, I guess you would say, source of strength and support and encouragement and love. So when... I was 28 and she passed away. It just, it destroyed me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I was definitely not the same. I dealt with a lot of issues with myself, basically eating uncontrollably, drinking a lot, uh, not exercising. My self-esteem was completely shot in every sense. My self-worth was non-existent. I uh, had actually lost my job prior to my mother passing away. But, you know, I had unemployment and then that ran out and my mother was supporting me. But when she had passed away, that was it. My twin had actually moved, um, not aware because I didn't want to worry him. 
about my situation. So he had moved and I was completely on my own. Things just kept getting worse, I guess you could say. Uh, I was homeless for quite some time. I had even worse self-esteem and self-worth at this point. I let myself be taken advantage of and used and abused by friends, by men, by jobs that I would manage to get. And it was just, it was really rough. I had completely lost myself in every sense of the word. I spent the next maybe 10 years struggling and fighting and making my way, I guess, back on my feet, so to speak. Um, you know, just pushing forward. Uh, I dealt with finding a new job and letting go of friends that just were a very negative influence, getting a roof over my head, working or trying to work on a more healthy lifestyle and just, you know, overcome the psychological scars of, yes, losing my mother, but you know, the, the years of being homeless and, you know, being lied to, cheated on, used by men, sexual assault, physical abuse, and just, you know, a all around bad decade, I guess you could say. Yeah. So here I am today. Life isn't perfect, but I'm definitely far from where I've been and I'm still going. And that's basically it. <laughs> so, so Liz, you mentioned that you were homeless um, for some time um, after the death of your mom. So could you just talk a little bit about that? How long did that last? Sure. Um, it was probably about five years. I would sometimes have places to stay, couches, guest rooms of friends, you know, but never an actual home. Uh, there were extended periods of time where I was sleeping in my car or, you know, even just outside camping type areas. And, you know, I, I would go over to friends' houses. I would um, shower and things like that saying, you know, oh, where I'm staying, the shower is not working. Or I, I think I was just so worried about people knowing my story, partially because of shame, but partially because even with my situation, I was so worried about other people and them being upset and worried and, you know, trying to help me out when maybe they were struggling themselves. And yeah, it was, it was rough for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious now, when you think about this part of your life, are you ashamed of it? No. I used to be, but now I would say I've gotten more perspective. I mean, of course, it wasn't ideal, and I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I'm glad it happened, but it definitely was an experience that added to my story in my life, and I think made me part of who I am and stronger and a better person. Yeah, so I just want to back up a little bit and talk about how a day in your life was um, during that time? Sure. If it was either staying with somebody or staying in my car, I would basically get up. I would get ready for the day. Um, 
I, if I was staying in my car or in the park, there was a state park nearby that had showers, you know, for their lake facility. So I would get ready there. I had finally gotten a job, but it, it might as well not have even been a job. It was 15 hours a week and it was like $8 an hour. So I would go to work. I would spend a lot of time reading or at the public library using the internet for, you know, job applications and things. And then just, you know, fill the day that way and then just settle back in for the night. Liz, um, how did you pay for gas? How did you afford food during this time? For the gas and things like that, I had been working. Um, it was just that little bit part-time job that I had. So that gave me a lot. Um, eventually, I was able to go on social assistance. So that's how I paid for food. Before that, my boyfriend at the time, he had actually worked at a kosher frozen food warehouse. So I lived on really nasty uh, frozen pizzas and potato pancakes and all that great stuff. Tell us a little bit about those, um, I guess, government assistance programs and how you applied for them and, and how long that took to get on those programs. Sure. Um, I had initially applied probably about two weeks after my mother's passing. So it was probably the beginning of August and it wasn't quite as easy as it is now. This was 2009. So you weren't able to do as much online. You had to actually go down and fill out paperwork and wait for hours to see a caseworker and you had to come back. And it was a lot of back and forth just to even get your application submitted. Then once it was submitted, it was forever to be approved. The assistance didn't actually come through until probably sometime, maybe January, February. So that was, that was rough. <laughs> and how long were you on the uh, assistance program? Um, probably about a year. Uh, by then, I had started working for the census, and they cut me off, even though it was just a temporary part-time job. Uh, they said I was making too much. And then, you know, I had eventually worked and gotten more full-time work and things like that. The insurance they did let me keep until I was working full-time with a job that offered insurance though. How did you apply for jobs during that time? I spent a lot of time at the library and used their internet. Also just talking to friends, you know, sometimes going into stores. I had gone you know, Walmart, McDonald's, all these other kinds of places, but most of them weren't hiring with the economic downturn. And even the ones that were, they looked at my background and they were like, oh, college degree. Well, obviously you're not planning to really stick around. So there was, I guess you could say, almost a discrimination in that regard. Yeah, you know, I... I, I, I know you said that your friends um, helped you out a lot. So just wanted to know uh, if they knew what was going on um, or if they didn't, did they have an idea? Some of them, I think, might have sort of suspected things. They would ask me questions. 
you know, oh, well, where are you staying? And it was a little difficult because some of them were kind of intertwined, but not to the extent that they are now. So it was a little bit easier to kind of keep it from them. I got pretty good at just hiding who I was in that regard and things like that. So, And just about the hiding, is that something that is difficult for you? Um, I used to be extremely extroverted (laughs) and actually have a lot of confidence in things. When I lost my mother, that really did change a lot. It, It was like part of myself died with her. So it was difficult for me. And I, uh, I think it was hard to just feel comfortable and confident and be myself. So I, I think I kind of retreated into myself and just hid myself. And basically it became more easy than actually facing, you know, who I was, I think that kind of depressed me remembering how I used to be, especially I had tied it so much into my mother and, you know, just everything, my confidence and just everything was just gone. And it seems like your mom was such a crucial part of your life. So if, you know, we could just take a couple minutes, um, if you could tell us about her, what was she like (laughs) and where were you living with her? um, And when you realized you were going to be homeless? <laughs> I, I can't even really put into words how incredible my mother was. Probably one of the best people to ever exist. <laughs> I know everybody likes to think that way about their mothers, but she was. She helped shape me as not just a person, but as a woman specifically. Uh, she showed me that, you know, it's important for me to be strong and independent and intelligent, you know, and be able to stand on my own two feet. And just, I, (laughs) I never saw someone given the circumstances she was after losing her husband and to just be able to go on and have this incredible life for herself and her children. I mean, We struggled financially, definitely. You know, I would watch all my friends, you know, in their big houses or going on Disney vacations or having every toy they wanted. And we didn't have that, but we had a roof over our head, food on the table, clothes. We did go on these vacations, vacations that made us happy, like the mountains and things like that. And I think the fact that she was able to take nothing and still give us this great life and experience growing up. She emphasized the importance of education and success, not necessarily in the financial sense. You know, she said, if you can make a lot of money, great, but you need to do what makes you happy. And she's my inspiration for that. She worked in first as a teacher, then a guidance counselor in high school, and then a social service coordinator and assistant executive director of a nonprofit for 22 years almost. And the difference she made in people's lives between that and her private counseling. I mean, when she was in the hospital, even in a coma, there were countless people in her room at all hours. 
uh, at her services, they had to hold two. Um, they were both beyond crowded and people lined up around the block. They just wanted to pay their respects and just told countless times how amazing she was and how she changed their lives. And I, I know it because she did the best she could with everything she had to make things as good as they could be for everyone, putting herself last usually, but, and uh, yeah, she was amazing. <laughs> and where is she from, Liz? Uh, she was born in Detroit and uh, she moved to New York for work. And then she met my father and he said, oh, I live in the country. It ended up being New Jersey, not quite the country, but for a man born in Vienna, then Tel Aviv and Paris and Brooklyn, I guess this is the country. <laughs> of course she's cool. She's from Michigan. <laughs> I'm from Michigan, listeners. I guess before you became homeless, what was your view of homelessness? Um... I guess it was just, you know, I, I had compassion. Um, my mother, we grew up doing community service and kind of things like that since we were children. It was uh, something my mother instilled in us. So I, I think there was and still is a big stigma for most people about it and preconceived notions. I didn't necessarily picture it ever happening to me, but yeah, I, I just, it, it was, it was a shock when it happened, but I, I guess it was, I knew it could happen to anybody and, you know, that it did, especially, you know, during times of trouble, like during the economic downturn, I I saw just when I was teaching preschool, a lot of my parents and things having to move into their parents' house or some of them, you know, motels and things just to survive. Did you have any negative experiences interacting with other people while you were homeless? Not too much. I would usually park my car in apartment complexes. So it, I was less noticeable for things like police. Um, so I was fortunate enough to never have any issue with that. Not too much. I, I was very lucky in that regard, even just, you know, running into dangerous people or anything. You know, I stayed mostly in like areas I knew and, you know, well-lit kind of things. And yeah. So when you come across someone Nowadays, if you come across someone who's homeless, how do you interact with them? Do you, do you help them? Do you reach out and you talk um, to them? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> Some people think it's, you know, almost a fault. Um, you know, I, I try, you know, I acknowledge them. I know a lot of people, they're, whether it's just their prejudice against it, whether it's just their coping mechanism because it makes them uncomfortable. They prefer to act like they just don't see them. I can't do that. I, I never was able to, but it was more so since having experienced it myself, you know, I do acknowledge them, you know, I make eye contact, 
if, you know, they're speaking to me, I'll respond. I try to give what I can be directly or to organizations and things that help them. You know, I, I try to, to give things more like food or jackets or shoes, you know, things more, I, I don't want to say tangible, but, you know, rather than just money, just because I, I think they could be of more use and things. I mean, this is a huge part of your life. And I, we would just love to know, what was the greatest lesson you learned from it? Just to basically not give up or lose hope. When my mother died, I, <laughs> I thought it was as bad as I could get. And then, of course, that happened. And I was like, oh, look at that. It could get worse. <laughs> and I honestly didn't think, I would have my life together. I figured at best I'd be living in some, you know, really crappy apartment with like 10 roommates and working, you know, part-time, some minimum wage job, which no disrespect, but like, you know, I would have felt unfulfilled and just barely getting by. And not that I'm living the high life, but I definitely, I'm comfortable and happy. And, you know, it, it basically, it taught me the meaning of not giving up and surviving and being able to depend on myself. I, I think one reason I had so much trouble was I was dependent on my mother. Um, not so much financially per se, although since I had lost my job, yes, but, you know, emotionally, and I think, you know, I figured she'd always be there. So I think it was a struggle combined with grief to try to almost find myself, my voice, my own feet, so to speak. Yeah, you seem to be a pretty resilient person. Um, I'm sure there are some people who would have had moments where they felt like giving up or that they just couldn't do it anymore, but you definitely seem to barrel through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had my dark periods, you know, I never, I, I fortunately never dealt with, you know, thoughts of hurting myself or anything like that, which I'm grateful for because I know a lot of people aren't that lucky, but I, I definitely, I had my dark periods, um, a lot of, of things that I myself am not proud of and, uh, or, you know, that really just added to, you know, me, I guess, suffering basically, but I pulled it together and I never gave up. So that was, that was the important thing. Still a work in progress, but <laughs> you've come a long way. Um, and so having come this, um, this far from what you've dealt with in the past, what would you say your autobiography um, be titled, um, you know, having experienced all of this? Hmm. I know that's, that's a tough <laughs> one. <laughs> um. Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, we ask the hard questions here. <laughs> yep, we don't play on Bound by the Cloak. 
<laughs> no Direction Home. To quote uh, my man, Bob Dylan, who I adore. Uh, you know, it's for me, it was about not finding my way back, but finding my way forward, I guess. Because you can't go back. <laughs> I like that. So why are you telling your story on the air, Liz? Why now? And why with us? I, uh, I think it's good to kind of share one's personal experiences. And, you know, you might be able to reach someone who maybe is having a hard time or going through something similar and isn't sure. And maybe this can kind of be like, oh, well, look you know, she did it or whatever. <laughs> well, I would say you more than did it or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I get a little awkward and shy. So, well, you're <laughs> with um, Zoe and Chandi. I, I think that's, that's, says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, I guess, well, your friends didn't know that they were helping you and, um, and, you know, your family, your brother didn't know that he was, I guess, helping you in any way, but was there anyone who did help you and they, they may not have realized it like along the way? Um, I have been fortunate, um, growing up, you know, not really close to most of my quote unquote biological family. I, I really, my friends were my family growing up and uh, I have my super six as I call them. Um, it's my best friends and they're like my sisters. Uh, they make a real difference in my life, not just for the fun stuff, but being their shoulders to cry on and things like that. I've also been very fortunate um, through various things I've been involved with, like Circle K when I was in college, it was an organization or the coffee group that I'm in um, to meet some amazing people, you know, that inspire me or that just lift me up in so many ways. The uh, man that I currently have very strong feelings for, he also has inspired me along with a friend uh, who basically just <laughs> shake me and say, look at who and what you are. Stop focusing on the bad. So yeah, I, uh, I'm fortunate for these people in my life. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and my work parents <laughs> for always being supportive, but also giving me a kick in the butt when I need to. <laughs> We all need a kick in the butt once in a while. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, something that I, I find really interesting, um, I, I think this question might tell a lot about how you want people to see you, but what's a question you wish people would ask when they meet you for the first time? I know these are some <laughs> tough questions, right? What are the little things in life? that make you happy <laughs> and why because I think the little things in life are what are most important 
everybody, I mean, don't get me wrong, health, home, money, things that they are obviously extremely important, but you know, what really make up who you are and your life and what brings you joy most and positivity are the little things. So what's one little thing that makes you happy? Oh, I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I guess, I mean, it's redundant, but the special people in my life, definitely. And s'mores. Okay. Oh, and SRK. SRK makes me very happy in life. Uh, to all the non-Indians out there, can you tell us who SRK is? Shahrukh Khan. And what does that mean? He's the Bacha of Bollywood. He's the what? <laughs> He's the king of Bollywood. He is an amazing actor, but he is also a philanthropist and an activist and extremely intelligent. And he can move. Uh, Liz <laughs> loves Bollywood to, to all the listeners out there. So, yep, she's the Indian, not me. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much for telling us your story. I think it's really important that People really know that homelessness can affect anyone um, at any time. And uh, that homelessness doesn't always come in the general, um, you know, it doesn't come in the form of panhandling or living on the street. So I think it's really important that listeners hear your story because we all have our own perceptions of. Um, homelessness and what we should do to tackle it homelessness does not mean hopelessness and um yeah liz thanks um i i think it was also really great learning more about you um and also just how far you've come because you have come so far thanks yeah thank you it was a great opportunity to to speak with you and and get to know more about you and, and your life Thanks for having me, guys. It was a good time. Liz told us about how she navigated homelessness while living in the suburbs and how she was able to, with the help from several resources, pull herself out of it. She may have discussed this a little bit, but do you think it's easier for women to get help while they're homeless? Than a man? Yeah. I would imagine so. For some reason, women have, or for some reason, people are a little bit more sympathetic to women in certain dire situations. That's just what I've noticed. I mean, it's also true if if someone has a as children. In that case, yeah, they're definitely going to get, it's going to be easier for them to get assistance. I think people also are a little bit more sympathetic to younger people and also the elderly. Because I I think it's, I mean, it's very, I don't want to say it's uncommon. The majority of homeless people, I mean, that you see, do you see younger homeless people or do you see like middle-aged or do you see older? I've seen mostly middle-aged people, I think. Okay. It's odd because, yeah, I think I've mostly seen middle-aged people that are homeless, but it also depends on where you are. 
I have seen a great deal of younger people as well. That's the thing too. I mean, I always feel like, not to say that I have more sympathy for somebody who's older and a veteran, but I think that more of a concern to me because these are people who've been through a lot and they really should be getting the help that they deserve. I mean, everybody deserves help. I just maybe seem to tune in more for certain homeless people, which doesn't sound... It doesn't sound good, but I think maybe we all do that. Like you said, some people, you know, are like, oh, the young college student that's homeless, they need help. They have potential. They're going to be someone if they just had a chance. But I still definitely have sympathy for the middle-aged homeless person that might have, might be a veteran. Maybe they have some sort of, you know, maybe they're a veteran. Maybe they have mental health concerns, but everyone does need that help. I mean, I can just imagine if it was a woman with a child who's homeless, people are not going to ignore that. Yeah, I think we do pick and choose, right? Who we support and what type of homelessness is okay to be sympathized with or empathized with. Just like we do that with a lot of things in life and society. Yeah, I think that we also tend to shy away from homeless people that have mental health issues. If I'm at Penn Station and someone comes up to me and asks if I can get them something to eat, I'm all for that, of course. Now, if somebody asks if they can have some money, but they might seem to be just a little bit off, I'm more reluctant to help them. If someone is, you know, like visibly, I don't even know, how do you explain that? Like, Like you could tell that the money is going to be used for some sort of like substance abuse. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, I feel like you never really know if some some money that you give someone is going to be used for substance abuse. But I mean, you see it quite a bit at Penn Station or any other place, right? You, You can see the person who's clearly high, you know, just going through it. And I don't know, I think when you see both sides of it, right? I mean, I think we tend to, when we see that negative aspect not that every homeless person does drugs or or is looking for alcohol, right? That's 100% not true. But I think that when we see it, then we say it's okay to not help these people. When in reality, those are the people who probably need the most help. Yeah. Because they need a different kind of help. Yeah. Even when we're being philanthropic or altruistic, we have a hierarchy that we work around. Like kids, people give money to kids because they're, there's something about kids that just makes people have a visceral reaction to want to give to them, to care for them. And then you have, you know, your other hierarchical ways and how you want to give money to people or how you want to help people. Yeah. I mean, I think that everyone hates to see a child in a situation where they're homeless and they may not get enough to eat or you want to see that kid be a normal kid, go to school, right? And do what everybody else is doing. You don't want to see them go through hardships. And so when you do see that, yeah, you have a, you definitely have a a reaction that's, I mean, it it affects you differently than just walking down the street and seeing just another homeless person. Or seeing a young woman sleeping in her car, like Liz did. You you wouldn't think that she's homeless. That's not the first thing you think about. Yeah. I mean, another thing too is, you know, I don't want to shy away from the fact that Liz is, you know, a white woman who was homeless in the suburbs. So that's another thing where, you know, that isn't represented as much. And I mean, now it's obviously it's represented in the show made, but you don't think of it that way, right? You don't necessarily think of, I mean, really, I don't really think of homelessness in the suburbs 
all that often anyway. But I guess if that's the image, if there's an image of being homeless, I have a particular image in my head. And so anybody can be homeless in the suburbs and they not everybody is going to be the single white woman in her 20s. Um, who's out of work might be a minority person of color, you know, men and women. And so is that person then treated differently when it comes to their interactions of receiving any assistance or there's a lot of factors that go into being homeless, right? There's why you're homeless. So, I mean, it's, it's very possible that somebody could have been kicked out of like, you know, their parents' home and now they're homeless and that could be a very young person, right? And you hate to see somebody so young going through these things. I think Liz's story resonates with a lot of people who are struggling in the suburbs. Well, I mean, some people are on that really thin line, right? Between being homeless, you know, I mean, some people are just making it. Right. I mean, we've even seen it with the pandemic, right? So people who have lost their jobs, who are already struggling, now they can't afford basic things. They can't afford food. They can't pay their bills. And that's the thing, right? Homelessness isn't just about you living out of your car because you have no physical place. Even sometimes you may find a physical place, right? You may, people whose homes have gotten foreclosed on, technically they are homeless. They're squatting in their homes. It's not, I don't know. I feel like homelessness is homelessness is more than just... Being on the streets with a shopping yeah, it's cart. More than, right. It's more than than just being on the street. It's it's a peace of mind, right? Right. It's not feeling like you safe. Have a, you want a safe place to go that you can call home. And, and if you don't have that, it's the same thing in, the, in some ways. I mean, okay, maybe not the same thing, but it's similar. You don't feel safe. You, you're unsettled. And I think everyone deserves a safe place to stay. They do. They do for sure. I mean, there's some cities where they have, they're building like tiny homes for the homeless or, you know. Places where they can spend the night that's not just a shelter, but like an actual space that they can call their own, which I think is actually really nice. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that tiny homes for homeless people is a really good idea. There are other ideas as well. It's a tiny home that makes a big difference in their lives. We'd like to thank Liz for sharing her story with us today. And you can check out the show notes for resources on homelessness, not just in the suburbs, but homelessness in general, no matter where you are, anything you need, there are definitely resources out there for you. If you have your own story to share with us, please do send us an email or hit us up on social media. We'd love to hear from you. We really would. Hope you learned something from Liz's story. I know we have. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.